Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they are doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And iOS users can hear the show on the Overcast app. Listeners, you might recall that back on episode 253, I spoke with Michael Sticka, the executive director of the Grammy Museum, which had just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And it's a nonprofit and the official foundation for the Recording Academy. I had visited the museum when I was in Los Angeles at the end of October. And then in January, when I was back in LA, I had a meeting at the Recording Academy to talk further about two major components that we're going to cover on this episode, both of which will really speak to those of you who are in some facet of the music business. And as you'll hear from my first guest, that is very wide-ranging, and it doesn't even have to mean that you're a member of the Recording Academy. So to kick off the first half of this episode, joining me from Nashville is the Vice President of Music Cares, Debbie Carroll. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. I want to dive right into something that I was just saying there, because first and foremost, I want the listeners to understand that to benefit from Music Cares, you do not have to be a member of the Recording Academy, and you can be from a wide array of positions within the music industry. Singer or songwriter, yes, sure, but also manager, recording studio owner, Debbie, take over from there. That is absolutely correct. So you do not have to be um, a member of the Recording Academy or any affiliated organization. Um, to qualify for Music Cares Financial Assistance, you have to be able to document that you've been in the music industry in some capacity for five years and or have credited contribution to six commercially released recordings or videos, and those are singles. Um, we we the terminology in terms of how we define the music industry is vast as well. We producers, engineers, songwriters, um, bus drivers, lighting tech guys, wow. um, production crew, record label um, employees. We we want to be as inclusive as we possibly can can be while also fulfilling our mission. Um, and back to the eligibility in terms of requirements um, and years in the industry. An individual, those, those five years, it doesn't have to be five consecutive years nor five recent years. So we just want to be able to, to ensure that we're uh, fulfilling our mission of providing assistance to um, professional musicians. Okay, okay. And listeners, stay with me here. I know you're saying, I don't even know what Music Cares is yet, and you're already talking about who's eligible or not eligible. I'll give you the blanket statement, which is that Music Cares is a nonprofit health and human service organization that helps members of the music industry in times of financial, medical, and personal hardship. But we're going to roll up our sleeves in this conversation with Debbie and talk about what exactly that looks like. I just want to finish out, though, that that Debbie, perhaps as importantly, one's geographical location doesn't matter either. Although I do want to clarify, is this for just within the U.S. or is it internationally also? 
We are just within the U.S. Um, it, our, our plans are potential. Well, we don't have potential plans to to expand outside of the U.S. And I do know of, of other organizations that are trying to do something very similar to what Music Cares does. But the reason that we're, we're U.S. specific is that we feel like we still have a lot of work to do mm. um, in this country. So. We don't want to water down our programs and services and, and, and expand without ensuring that we're taking care of, of our, our nation first. So that's the primary reason why, why we're, we're focused, targeted, we have targeted focus in the United States. And that's admirable because obviously we're going to talk about some of the strife that people who benefit from Music Cares are going through. And I can see those people saying, wow, they're helping all these people in insert other country here, and yet here I am in the United States, and I'm going through, and they'll describe their bad situation, and I can't get any help. So, listeners, a big part of the reason why I'm doing this episode is we've done this show for more than five years every week. You've heard a lot of guests that are doing a lot of good things. I'm talking about charitable efforts, but all the musicians have challenges of different shapes and sizes. Some of it is, I just need money to fund my tour, and that's not what Music Cares is about. But some of them won't say it, but have real, real challenges. In fact, one thing that I found very interesting as I was reading about Music Cares in preparation for this conversation with Debbie, is there was a survey done that found that many musicians struggle to make a living in the industry with the average, in the U.S., this is, earning just twenty to $25,000 a year, and 61% of those surveyed stated that their music-related income doesn't cover their living expenses. And so, Debbie, as we start to get into some of these services that Music Cares provides, let's talk about the first one, which is emergency financial assistance, because I'm sure that we want to make this clear to what that is and what that is not. Mm-hmm. Well, our emergency financial assistance program is is our um, foundation program in terms of that's that's all of our other programs um, uh, are really not not secondary, but that's our primary program. So we provide um, financial assistance to get individuals through um, many difficult times. So it could be a medically related issue. Um, where we cover medical expenses or an individual may have insurance that covers the the cost associated with whatever medical crisis they're facing, but they don't have funding for basic living needs while they undergo treatment for cancer, for example. We also provide funding for dental needs. Um, we can, if if an individual is is working and and finds that something has prohibited them from from continually to work, or they had a gig that was canceled, and therefore they're not able to cover their rent, we can help with that. Wow. Um, we've repaired roofs. We've bought instruments. Um, we really, our our scale and scope is is rather great in terms of of what we can provide assistance for. We're also very um, cognizant of any type of disaster that may affect a music person. So Mm -hmm. we were there when Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast region, um, and we were there last year for for Hurricane Harvey. We were available for the musicians associated and music people associated with the um, shootings in Las Vegas. Um, If there's a – or California wildfires – 
if there's a, a music-specific population or that has been affected by some type of tragedy or, or difficulty, we can we are there to help them. So um, we don't know what the individual who's calling us, what their situation may be. So each situation is unique and different. Um, but as you mentioned, we're not there to help support a tour or support living expenses while somebody's working on a demo um, or if they're in the studio recording their album. But we are there when they hit those difficulties in life, those potholes in life that we all hit. Um, what we like to say is we bridge the gap through those times um, so we can help people get through that difficult time so they can continue to, to make music and get back out doing what they do best. Are there any other examples that you see come up often enough that you can say another example of something that we don't do financially is? It's primarily business-related expenses, but we won't cover taxes. So that's that's an issue. We won't cover legal fees, typically. It's very rare that there's a circumstance that that we can't we can't assist. We we pay our, our funding and our grants are issued directly to a third party, which just preserves the integrity of our program. Uh, so we okay. know that when a person comes to us with a dental need, we will pay the dentist directly, okay. or we will pay someone's rent directly. So. Again, our funders are ensured that the funding that they give to us or the donations that they give to us are being, um, that we're being fiscally responsible with how we distribute those. So there's certain things, uh, credit cards are difficult for us to cover. Typically, we won't cover those things because we don't know what those, ex- what the expenses were or what the charges were on those credit cards. So those are a few things that we won't cover, but again, we like to do our best, and we pride ourselves on doing our best to try to help someone when they reach out to us. If they're, if they're eligible and they do have a need, we we will do all that we can to try to help them. Wonderful, wonderful. And listeners, in case you're wondering, musiccares.org is the website. There's only one C in the middle of that, musiccares.org, because I know that you're going to have questions And we're going to try to cover as much as we can with Debbie here. But at the same time, obviously, there's a lot of different scenarios that they've seen over the years. And that's, again, part of the reason why I'm doing this episode. You hear me talk from time to time about the fact that if you go to nowhearthis.biz, and of course, that's H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.biz, I offer a service where I tell you it's confidential. If you have challenges, I know a lot of musicians don't like to admit it. But if your career is struggling and you want me to look at your website, your social media, things like that, that I can help you with from my years in the business, we can do that. But you have to be honest with where things are. And more importantly than that is something like this. You don't want to keep it a secret if you're struggling with mental health, if you're struggling with substance abuse. These are all issues that Music Cares can help with, and that's why we want to bring awareness to this. Let's go into a little bit of that, Debbie. Workshops, educational panels, free clinics, these are some of the examples now that we can get into of what else Music Cares does besides just emergency financial assistance. Perfect. Well, and also backing up a little bit, Bruce, because you mentioned confidentiality, and I wanted to also note that, that all of our services are purely confidential. So when a person reaches out to us, even though we're affiliated with the Recording Academy, the Recording Academy staff um, we'll never know about the people who who request assistance from us. We we again 
are very mindful and and take that um, stance very seriously that we realize it's difficult for somebody to reach out for help in the first place so we want to ensure that their integrity and their privacy is kept again purely confidential so thank you for mentioning that sure wonderful in terms of our, our healthy essentials programs and those are our our preventative programs so we realized many years ago that we were doing a lot to help people when they stumbled, but what could we do to help prevent people from stumbling in the first place? Mm. So, um, and we also acknowledge that music people are often independent contractors, and so they didn't necessarily have access to affordable health care um, coverage or providing um, or, or having the funds available to, to pay for those services could be difficult. So, we embarked upon um, some efforts to help keep the music industry healthy and well. And we, we provide medical clinics around the country where music people are able to get a free physical. And if they need, if, if something is discovered during that physical and they need follow-up care, we can help with that. We provide dental clinics um, at various locations around the country and typically twice a year so people can, can rest assured that they're um, able to get a dental cleaning, and then if if they need restorative care, we can can help with that as well. We embarked upon a, a, a effort probably six or seven years ago to preserve individuals' hearing health. Um, many years ago, it was it was such that music people wouldn't talk about the fact that they had been exposed to loud music for decades and potentially could have some hearing loss. I, I heard many, many times from, from from folks that, you know, I'd love to take a hearing screening, but um, I really don't really want to know the extent of my hearing loss because I know I have some. So hmm. thankfully that shame has been lifted significantly and people are very interested in, in preserving their hearing health. So we've partnered with audiologists around the country where we are backstage at major music award shows and festivals offering hearing clinics which can which conducts which consists of um not only hearing screenings but also we provide ear impressions for custom earplugs so then mm. in four weeks or so people get a pair of custom plugs that they can take to any music event or any any show that they're working on and, and again help pr- preserve their hearing health. That's tremendous. So, which is terrific, and thousands of people take advantage of that every year, which is really great. We also have surveyed people after the fact, our clients, to see if they're actually utilizing the products, and they are, so we're, we're thrilled about that. Well, I'm curious. You used the expression, we have partnered with audiologists, so I wonder, how do you align with various industry professionals? I'm thinking about nutritionists, financial planners, mm-hmm. doctors, dentists. We get to know our, our providers um, personally before we ever utilize them. So we want to vet the quality of the services that they provide um, and ensure that if we're going to back them and, and promote them as something that or a service that's within Music Cares, we want to make sure that the quality is, is to our standards. So we get to know them. We get to know their services. Um, we also, as a charity, we work with them. Um, many, many of our providers, in fact, most of our providers provide their services to us at a reduced rate or at a pro bono rate. So that just expands our charitable dollars so we can do more. Um, so we, our audiologist partners, um, will, will cover all of their travel expenses when they go to these events, and then we will cover the costs of the ear impressions and the plugs 
Um, but that's again at a, at a greatly reduced rate because they acknowledge that we're we're assisting a unique population and, and we are a charity. So anything they can do to help us um, do that in a more cost-effective manner, they're happy to do that. So it takes certainly takes a village to do what we do, sure, and we realize sure. and acknowledge that that those partners are of utmost importance to us, and we couldn't provide the scope and scale of what we do without them. But are you always open to more new providers, or is it, thank you, but we've we've got it covered, we already have people? Because I'm thinking if there's someone listening right now who says, well, I provide the following service, I would love to partner with Music Cares, can they contact Music Cares to talk about potentially becoming a provider, or is it closed? No, we're not closed at all. We don't. We don't ever want to be. We want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, and we're never. I mean, our those services are never quote unquote closed, and we're always looking for new partners. So, okay. Um, it and I I do like to let providers know because there's a sense of if if they partner with us and thousands of music people will come their way, um, and that's not necessarily the case. So given that we're nationwide and we have, I see. We have pockets of the country that we serve more musicians than others, but yes, we would we would welcome having conversations with individuals who provide specialized services to see how we could potentially work together. Okay, and I, do, I should clarify, for someone who does find themselves in need of services from Music Cares, is it one and done, or is it they can come to you and get help, and then all of a sudden, seven months later, something else comes up, and they need to come back again, and the door is still open? We do. We we have to have some parameters around that a little bit, because if we didn't, then the person who's finding themselves in the same situation um, might prohibit the person, the new person who reaches out to us for, mm. to get some help, because our Last year, we served 8,700 people with a little over 6.7 million in aid. Wow. So that's a significant number. Um, and those numbers continue to grow. So we we won't be able to always assist again. We have to vet what the circumstances are. If it's someone who's facing, again, a cancer diagnosis and, or diagnosis and they're undergoing treatment and um, we're providing some funding and they're still not finished with their treatment, we could certainly consider providing additional funding. If it's someone who just can't seem to, employment is difficult and they're not able to really make ends meet, but they're able-bodied and, and don't have a significant medical condition or otherwise we may look at that a little bit differently. So we we have to, we're, again, we're, we're, we have to be financially prudent and, and not cautious, but um, cognizant of where our where our dollars are going so it makes sense we want again we often say within our team if it was the thousand dollars that you donated was this is this where you would want it to go so we we want to ensure that we're we're providing um the best care for folks who may need us but also being fiscally responsible very good well debbie let's cover one final service that comes under Music Cares, which is the Addiction Recovery Program, and with that would come, in my opinion, Safe Harbor Rooms and the weekly addiction support groups. Yes, we we have a specialized or, or a unique program where we provide addiction recovery services to to music people who contact us. We're we're thankful in that we can get somebody into treatment within a matter of hours wow. if they need that. So they can contact us. We have, again, those partners and providers 
we have relationships with treatment facilities around the country who are partners with us, and we can make a quick phone call and get someone into treatment immediately. We we realize the research suggests that when a person has an addiction issue, they acknowledge that they have an issue and they want to get help. That window of opportunity is is rather short to get somebody into treatment before they change their mind. So um, if somebody calls us and does not have insurance or um, or their insurance won't cover treatment, we can we can provide funding for that. We also provide funding for sober living, um, for therapists, for aftercare. Um, again, we like to just do all that we can to help support somebody in their journey to live a, a better life. You mentioned our safe harbor rooms. We have safe harbor rooms, which are clean and sober rooms backstage at major music award shows and festivals every year. So that can be that's open to artists, production, crew, managers, um, anybody who's backstage working on a show and who's in recovery can come back and hang with like-minded individuals. And um, we host 12-step meetings, and it's a safe place for people to come during a stressful time. Yeah, and I should mention, listeners, that Music Cares puts on a variety of events. You're just hearing the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion, and I strongly encourage you to go to musiccares.org because they have a lot of good resources there. You can see what some of these events are. You can read more about the services. There's some very informative information articles that are on their site. And I wanted to go go back and repeat, listeners, something that Debbie said, which was they provided more than $6.7 million dollars to approximately 8,700 members of the music industry in the last fiscal year alone. So this is something that's very active and very available to you. And if you have questions, start at musiccares.org and read through. And then, obviously, if you feel that there is a need, please get in touch with them. Debbie, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful program. I really admire what the Recording Academy is doing with Music Cares, and I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and the listeners today about all things Music Cares. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to do so. Thank Absolutely. you. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is, when you're being interviewed, don't say, and we can talk about this later. First of all, the interviewer has already decided what will or won't be talked about, so now you're trying to take control and or giving them a note to make to remember to go back to. Secondly, you don't know that there will be time to talk later about whatever it is. And thirdly, if something is relevant that's making you think of it, say it right then. Although, keep it brief so you don't eat up precious time when other matter can be covered. Be grateful for every interview opportunity and show your appreciation by not telling the interviewer during the conversation what should be talked about. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. 
My thanks once again to Debbie Carroll for joining me from Nashville to talk about Music Cares. And now for the second half of this special episode of NHTE, we're going to shift over to a different aspect of the Recording Academy. And joining me on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Washington, D.C., is the Chief Industry, Government, and Member Relations Officer, Daryl Friedman, to talk about advocacy. Welcome, Daryl. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me, Bruce. Absolutely. So listeners, why I felt it was important to include this segment in this special episode is because music makers need an advocate in Washington, D.C., and so that's why the Recording Academy fights tirelessly to sort of champion creators' rights, elevate important policy issues, that sort of thing. The one that would probably come to mind first and foremost, listeners, and and Daryl, I'm sure you would probably agree, was the great success last year. Just for anyone that maybe didn't really get into all the nooks and crannies and the details, briefly, if you would, advocacy championed getting the Music Modernization Act passed last year. So just talk briefly about that first, if you would. Well, it was very gratifying to see that bill pass because it's something we had been working on for about four years. There had been a number of uh, legislative vehicles, one for songwriters, one for producers, one for performers. And we had been saying, look, the, the way to get this legislation done is for the music industry to unite around one vehicle. And um, it started really that concept coalesced uh, right before the Grammys in New York City when the entire Judiciary Committee came up to, to uh, New York Grammy Week to have a hearing on the subject. And then, of course, the ball got rolling all throughout 2018. So the Music Modernization Act really does accomplish something important for all music creators. For performers, it uh, improves the, the rate-setting process and also takes care of the um, the pre-72 artists who weren't getting paid on digital services. It removes that ambiguity. For songwriters, it sets up a new blanket license system for mechanical licensing that'll make it more efficient for songwriters to be paid and improves their rate standard and rate court. And for producers, for the first time in U.S. law, in the history of our country, producers have a legal right now for digital performance royalties to be paid to them directly, quickly, and transparently. Wow, Wow. wonderful. And I have to imagine that as happy as you were that it passed, you were probably equally happy at how fast it passed, yes? Well, in congressional terms, um, four years is the blink of an eye. So, yeah, I think it, <laughs> it worked, was pretty quick. But, um, you know, it's been really years of working on this. So uh, we were happy to see it pass at any pace. But I also want sure. to mention that um, you know, not only the Recording Academy members who came to Washington and went to their district offices, but so many music creators and songwriters and performers around the country who really lobbied for this and, and helped the acceleration of getting this thing passed. Okay, so listeners, now that you have kind of an example of one of the many things that advocacy does, Daryl, just kind of let's back up and just give sort of a 50,000-foot view of what advocacy is under the Recording Academy. We gave one example there, but there's certainly a lot of different things that advocacy does. Right. Well, as the Recording Academy's advocacy department, because the Academy itself is the only organization that represents just creators, no, no companies, no businesses, just the performers, songwriters, and producers, we, in Washington, we represent that interest before Congress and other agencies. 
So these issues can come up in a lot of different ways. We've had issues with the the wireless spectrum, and because at one point we're going to lose the wireless microphones and monitors for live performing musicians. Um, we've had issues with um, the FAA about traveling with instruments on airplanes and how to make that more efficient. So we've really had quite a few successes, nothing quite as ambitious as the Music Modernization Act, but throughout the years, we've really been able to kind of look at all the issues for performers, songwriters, and producers, and really be their advocate in Washington, and help them um, be their own advocate. The best, the best lobbyist, I always say, is the creator, him or herself, and uh, we've been really pleased to see thousands of them advocate through our program. Indeed, indeed. But I do want to clarify, listeners, if you are a performer this is very different from a PRO. The performance rights organizations that you're used to hearing about, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, they're the ones that are helping you collect these royalties. Daryl, I think it's safe to say they are not doing what advocacy is doing, or at least to the extent that advocacy is doing it. Yes? Well, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and GMR are all really partners with us. They are more focused on a specific um, type of advocacy, namely performance rights, rates, for songwriters, where our uh, portfolio and our challenge is much more broad to advocate for songwriters, but also performers and producers. Right. And so I like the example that you used about the FAA and that age-old problem about taking something like a guitar on an airplane. That's not something that ASCAP or BMI or CSAC would go to bat on. So hats off to advocacy that you do that sort of work. Let's let's get into some of these more specifics. Uh, first and foremost, and this is sort of awkward timing, listeners, I don't usually kind of get into what the timetable is of when this interview was recorded, when it's coming out, that sort of thing. But Daryl and I are recording this just days before Grammys on the Hill is going to take place. And unfortunately, this episode will come out the day of Grammys on the Hill, and, and the day before is the Grammys on the Hill Awards. But Daryl, explain to the listeners what we're referring to, what Grammys on the Hill is. Well, it really is the Recording Academy's attention turning to Washington on the Hill, and it's become Washington's uh, most impactful music and political activity. It's a two-day event. The first day is a, an award ceremony where we honor members of Congress who have uh, been there for creators, who have championed music's rights and uh, help pass legislation. And we honor artists as well who have been champions for us. So this year for the dinner award ceremony, we're honoring Yolanda Adams, who's been an amazing advocate for us. She's currently our Texas chapter president, but she's been to Washington year after year to advocate for her fellow creators. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth, the Broadway star and and television and motion picture star, also will be honored. And two members of Congress who... um, were instrumental in the passage of the Music Modernization Act. Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, who moved the bill through the Senate, and Congressman Hakeem Jeffries uh, from Brooklyn, who helped um, originate the the first bill that was the germination of the MMA. So that's the first day, and that's the fun part. (laughs) The next day we get down to work, and the next day, starting at 7.30 in the morning, we, um, we really drill in on the issues and head over to Capitol Hill, break out into about 20 groups and have 100 people all over Capitol Hill meeting with individual members of Congress. We meet with anywhere from 80 or more congressional offices and advocate for the issues that matter to music creators. Last year, just to give you an example of how effective this is, the, the Congress knows Grammys on the Hill happens. They know it's coming. Literally, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee put the MMA through committee one week before Grammys on the Hill 
mm. noting in his remarks that it was coming. And then we lobbied the next week. And one week after that, he put it on the House floor. Again, in his floor comments, noted that Grammys on the Hill had just happened. And it passed, of course, that day unanimously. So if anybody um, doubts the power of music creators' ability to make Congress move, this is proof. Well, and I like that you're talking about the structure of it, because I think people hear that advocacy is taking this group to Capitol Hill, and this image is conjured up of this big mob who is just kind of pouring down on the Capitol and demonstrating. And in fact, it's not that at all. This is very planned. It's like you said, it's sitting down in meetings. It's not this thing where they need crowd control and there's this unexpected rush on the Capitol. So I'm glad that you've explained that structure because it does sound like it is a very scheduled and long day. <laughs> yeah, every group has three or four meetings. And um, then we end with a, uh, a keynote speaker of interest to to music makers too. So it really is a, it's a day of substance. It's not just a, uh, you know, a crowd, as you say, it really is people come in the morning, learn the issues, ask questions, make sure they're completely well-versed on all of these issues. And then we send them out to meet with those members of Congress and we get a great reception. And in mentioning the Grammys on the Hill awards the day before listeners, it's fitting Yolanda Adams and Kristen Chenoweth. They are both big supporters of Music Cares. So it's a callback to the first half of this episode. So, Daryl, you talked a little bit about, you mentioned that Yolanda Adams is the chapter president, the Recording Academy of Texas. Just explain that to the listeners. There's 12 Recording Academy chapters across the country, I believe. Right. And it's one of the things that actually makes me most excited to to get up and, and work here every day, which is that our our guidance, our governance, our elected leadership, all of the boards from 12 chapters in music cities across the country to our national board, they're made up of the actual music creators. So it's people, it's not record labels or publishers or PROs or anyone else. It's, it's individual songwriters, artists, performers who are guiding this organization. So if we have a chapter in Texas, for example, it's, it's run by the chapter president who is, happens to be Yolanda Adams for this term. And um, we get great input and guidance from these people who really do live the life of music and tell us what's important to them. Well, Daryl, talk to the listeners who are Recording Academy members or who are considering Recording Academy membership as it relates to these 12 chapters, not so much where they're located, but in other words, what do these Recording Academy chapters do that a Recording Academy member would go to for? Well, our chapters are really where the organization meets the member on the ground. So whether or not you're um, in a chapter city, the chapter is there to provide support, educational opportunities, and coordination. Um, as you mentioned, the Music Cares earlier, they can help connect people to our charitable organizations when during times of need. And for advocacy, they become our outreach arm. And for example, our district advocate program, which is really a, a very local program um, in you know, 400 meetings around the country, it's the chapters who really organize that and, and meet and set up those meetings with their members in the local offices. And so the chapters are a really important part of our organization. They're really our lifeblood. And listeners, we will put links on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. But if you go to grammy.com slash advocacy, there's plenty of information there that Daryl and I are not going to be able to get into a 20-minute conversation. And there's Lots of resources available. There's ways that you can get involved 
So it's also something to consider if you have wondered about Recording Academy membership. This is something that you really want to learn more about and not so much what they can do for you, but as Daryl, you were saying yourself, you know, you do have to be your own biggest advocate and you do have to, I say it a lot, I'm not afraid to say it, you have to get out of your house. You can't just sit in your house and write music all day and never go play it for anybody, never go meet other people, and never get really educated, versed on some of the things that are going on in the industry. And it sounds like that's some of what the Recording Academy will help you find out. That's right. And, you know, we do, we're respectful of people's capacities to to spend time on this. I always believe that people who are here to, on this earth to make music should be making music, and we don't want to um, take time away from that. But we've really made it easy to be an advocate. There are some people who do a lot. They'll fly to Washington, and if you're Booker T. Jones, you know, you fly to Washington, you testify before Congress in a hearing. Other people might just be able to use social media and, and tweet to their members of Congress on how important this issue. Others might take one day a year and just go to their local congressman's office during this year. District Advocate is October 2nd. It's during the congressional recess. Every member of Congress is home um, in that week that we schedule it, and we set up meetings for you to go meet them right around the corner. They might be a mile away from your house. So really it's up to, to each, of the, uh, each of your listeners to decide how they want to engage. The important thing is that everyone be knowledgeable and do something to help your community. So it sounds like District Advocate Day is intentionally scheduled when there's a break, yes? That's right. We always do it when we know Congress will be home. And on alternate years, of course, it's right before the election when they're especially sensitive to their constituents and looking to get their jobs back. But um, (laughs) each year it's during the fall recess, and we make sure that we have a chance to let our members go. If they can't come to Washington, they can literally go to the the town, the, the local office, the congressman's there, congresswoman or congressman is there and they can have that meeting in a way where it really counts more because in washington they meet with a lot of interest groups coming through all the time but when they when they meet with somebody at home it really does have a a, a really powerful connection for the member of congress well i do want to be sensitive to those who are listening simply because they're music lovers they're music fans and thank you they enjoy this show is there something that the general public can do who is not a music creator that is still helping and supporting the efforts of advocacy? Absolutely. In fact, we have a newsletter that goes out to uh, all sorts of people, including fans who just want to be supportive of the artists, songwriters, and producers that they love and that have made their lives enriched. So I would encourage everyone to go on grammy.com slash advocacy. There's ways to um, look at our social media. There's ways to take action. We make it very easy. You can actually just um, put in your address to find out who your congressman is, and there are pre-written um, letters that you can send to your congressman to support music. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter, all sorts of things. We encourage everyone to get involved, whether they're a practitioner or a fan. And what is the Grammy Fund for music creators? The Grammy Fund is actually a political action committee. Um, we, what we'd like to do is support those members of Congress who've been good to music makers, who've who've seen the importance of pro-music legislation. And like most trade associations, we support those members of Congress financially. And so we um, we ask our members to support the fund. It's for members only, but we ask our members to support the fund, and we in turn use that to to support members of Congress who've been good to music people. Okay. 
Well, since the real timely issue here is Grammys on the Hill, let's just go back to that and roll up our sleeves a little bit as it relates to the day that you described. How are those people chosen that go and sit in all those meetings? Are they are they debriefed ahead of time, very formally trained? This is what you are going to talk about. Or do they come to you and say, this is what I would like to talk about? How is all that scheduled and planned? Generally, each Grammys on the Hill, we try to have current Grammy nominees and winners from this year come up. That's Grammys on the Hill means. And so this year, it's about um, nearly 100 people made up of current Grammy nominees, winners, uh, Academy leadership, and some of our staff, of course. And we're not asking them to become or to be experts on policy. Uh, we are asking them to come and tell their story as a music creator. Uh, we're here every day. We have a team of lobbyists here who are on the Hill every day, so we can be those sort of policy wonks who can get into the nitty-gritty of what Clause uh, 2 of paragraph subparagraph mm-hmm. 3 means. Mm-hmm. We don't want the musician and the songwriter to have to do that. We want them to tell their story, how important it is that they make music, how they make music. But we do educate them. And in advance of coming to Washington to get a, a summary of briefing material, and on the morning before we lobby, we have an hour with them. Where we do a full briefing. They can ask questions. We send each of them in their groups with a professionally trained um, advocate or uh, academy staff person. So it's very comfortable for them. But again, we're not trying to get, have them get into the details of legislation. We're trying to have them show members of Congress how important it is to support the music creators like them. Okay, okay. But is it just, say, performers, or are there engineers, producers, other categories, as long as they are a Grammy nominee? All all um, members can come to this. We have performers, we have songwriters, we have amazing producers and engineers. The, the Grammy-winning producer of the record album of the year this year is coming. Uh, we have artists such as uh, you know, Kristen's, Kristen Chenoweth will be lobbying. We have Mario. We have um, so many. So it really is artists performers, songwriters, engineers, producers, everybody who makes music. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, last question, Daryl, just to circle around. We started off talking about the Music Modernization Act. The good news is that passed. That was last year, though. So now that that has gotten passed, what is next? Well, there's always issues um, to improve the lives of music creators, and a couple things did not get resolved in the Music Modernization Act as significant as it was. One issue was the there's one area in the U.S. law that's really the only area in the U.S. economy where someone can use somebody else's intellectual property without permission and without compensation, and it's actually terrestrial radio. And terrestrial radio is the one platform for music that does not pay anything to artists for world, and royalties. We had been talking to the radio industry all last year and hoped that we'd have a resolution to that that could be incorporated into the MMA didn't get done in time, so we'll be talking to Congress about that this year. For songwriters, um, the, the issue that's really on people's minds is what's going to happen to the ASCAP and BMI consent decrees. These are essentially agreements with the government between the PROs because of their large market share. So the antitrust division of the Department of Justice is looking at these consent decrees to see if they should be modernized. We believe they should be. We believe they currently keep songwriter royalties below market rate. So we'll be talking to Congress about letting the Department of Justice do its job to improve uh, the songwriter rates as well. And there are other issues involving trade, and, of course, arts funding is important to our folks. So there'll be about uh, four or five issues that they'll focus on on the Hill. 
Well, and listeners, I try to bring you both sides of the story, as you hopefully have found in the five plus years of this show. I do want to ask one last question. After all, Daryl, I thought that was going to be the final one. But, you know, there's something to be said for last week on the show. The guest was Australian acoustic guitarist Alan Gogol, who said, I am making a living off of Spotify. At the same time, there have been guests on this show who have talked about the huge discrepancy between, no, please tell the listeners, Bruce, to purchase my music through iTunes because I get a much, much bigger percentage from an iTunes sale than I do the stream of a song on Spotify where it's said to be a fraction of a penny. Is that something that advocacy takes on? Some of it, yeah. I mean, there, there's a certain amount of this that's just a, a business issue. Um, deals between record labels and Spotify, for example, deals between artists and Spotify. But as people are moving away from the purchase model to the streaming model, what our job is is not to tell the marketplace how to consume music, but to make sure however the music is being consumed, that the performer, the songwriter, and the producer are getting fair, fair payment and fair compensation. So one of the things the MMA did was increase the rate standard so that um, – the royalties would be at a higher rate, but also increase the efficiency of payments from services like Spotify. Spotify um, needs to pay all the songwriters, find all the publishers of every track. So there'll be a new agency created by the MMA that will do just that, the way that SoundExchange does for the sound recordings. So our job is really to make sure that payment is at a fair market level and that, um, that the payment is done as efficiently as possible. He is the Chief Industry, Government, and Member Relations Officer, Daryl Friedman, talking about advocacy, which you can learn more at grammy.com slash advocacy. Daryl, thank you ever so much. Appreciate your time, and thank you for all the work that you and your staff are doing. Great talking to you, and thanks for this podcast. It's great to listen to. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to Debbie Carroll and Daryl Friedman, Again, we will have links on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, so you could go to grammy.com slash musiccares to learn more about that program, and grammy.com slash advocacy to learn more about Daryl and his staff of the work that they're doing that you just heard about. Be sure to engage with them on social media as well. Once you do, hit the grammy.com website and find out how else you can get involved to support and benefit from, take advantage of, take part in their programs. As for our show, nhte.net is the home where you want to start for all things Now Hear This Entertainment. Engage with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and be sure that you're signed up for the weekly e-newsletter There is a sign-up box at nhte.net. All you have to do is put your email address in, and that's it, fast and easy. It comes out every Wednesday to tell you more about all things NHTE. For now, that will do it for this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Thank you ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of NHTE.